Make sure all seats are in the upright position and trays are put away before we take off. Welcome to episode number 44 of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. Today is Friday, October 22nd, and we have a very special guest on today's podcast, Oxford PhD candidate and cybersecurity researcher, James Pavor, joins to break down a research project that he was part of that was able to manipulate satellite signals and eavesdrop on in-flight passenger internet data. This was a very informative interview with Mr. Pavor, who is also a Rhodes Scholar, gives an overview of a presentation that he first gave during the virtual Black Hat 2020 Professional Cyber and Hacking Research Conference in August. He also helps to explain how the methods that he used to eavesdrop on passenger in-flight internet data are not new, but rather involve some updated methods that were presented at Black Hat uh, for the first time actually 10 years ago. So let's get into our discussion with James. So James, first, for those in our audience who may not be aware of who you are or your extensive background, research skills, and education regarding cybersecurity, can you first just give our audience a little bit of background on your current status as an Oxford Rhodes Scholar and some of your background and how you became a Rhodes Scholar and PhD student at Oxford University at the Center for Doctoral Training on Cybersecurity? Certainly. So, yeah, it's been um, something of an unusual path uh, getting me here. I've always been interested in cybersecurity and hacking things. I got into a bit of trouble, actually, uh, back in high school for hacking into my school's computer cameras. And I've always just kind of been interested in, like, the kind of unusual aspects of cybersecurity and hardware security. Um, I did my undergraduate at Georgetown University, where I studied science, technology, and international affairs in the School of Foreign Service there. Um, which was really interesting because I learned a lot about cyber policy and kind of the bigger strategic aspects. And then on the side, I also dabbled a lot in embedded system security, did internships doing all kinds of weird things related to like hacking air conditioners and so forth, and found that I had a real interest in thinking about cybersecurity in kind of unconventional places. Um, and that kind of spilled over into what I've been doing now. Um, I was very fortunate and managed to get a Red Scholarship, which basically is just a scholarship to study for a graduate degree at Oxford. Um, and I decided to use the good fortune I had in getting that award to try and study something that otherwise I wouldn't have much opportunity to play around with um, because it's hard to find the times and resources to do so. And that for me was space systems because space is cool and hacking is cool. and so hacking satellites is like one of the coolest things you can research. Um, and yeah, here at Oxford over the past few years, I've mostly been focused on researching satellite system security. Um, it's a lot like other domains that are kind of esoteric. Aviation's a good example in that it's not very easy to break into as a security researcher. Satellites are very expensive and nobody really wants to share their hardware or equipment with hackers. And so a lot of the work that I've done so far has looked at like radio communications and things which are more inherently public. Uh, but I've also done a little bit looking at like spaceflight operations and how we track space debris and other kind of components of space missions more generally. 
I see. So, yeah, some very interesting and, and cool research, like you mentioned. Um, so it's great to be able to catch up with you. Now, I first came across you actually when you did your presentation in August for the virtual Black Hat 2020 conference uh, and was really, you know, just learned a lot from your research. You presented a very insightful presentation focusing on what's called satellite eavesdropping and how you and a team of researchers were essentially able to eavesdrop drop on in-flight passenger internet data through specialized manipulation of satellite signals. Now, can you first just tell us what inspired this research that you were part of and kind of give us an introduction to that presentation that you gave at Black Hat? Yeah, so um, the research was largely inspired by kind of two things. One, we know that a couple of years ago, there were a lot of vulnerabilities and to see if those vulnerabilities had kind of changed or how they affect more modern systems. Additionally, um, I was obviously a little bit resource constrained as a PhD student in terms of like what kind of satellite things I could hack. And so internet services are interesting because anyone with a radio antenna can potentially listen to satellite broadband. And the reason that we focused on these uh, broadband services that were going towards airplanes and maritime vessels and kind of home users is because of kind of a quirk in the way that the radio spectrum is licensed, which makes it very attractive for satellite service providers to operate their internet service in the same radio spectrum as satellite television. And so the idea there is that it would allow us to use kind of inexpensive home television equipment um, and kind of try to listen to satellites. And so we bought about $300 in just standard home TV equipment and started just pointing it at satellites in geostationary orbit. And we found that there were internet services on these satellites that were leaking some pretty sensitive customer data. Uh, a lot of satellite internet service providers were not employing any encryption at the like internet service provider level. So it was really up to the customer to decide what they were encrypting. And it seems like customers were either unaware or unable to encrypt their traffic. And what's particularly scary about that in the satellite context is that because satellites are so far away, they cover a massive area of the Earth's surface. We're talking tens of millions of square kilometers of traffic that we were able to intercept from our single satellite dish in Europe. And inside that traffic uh, from basically an entire continent, we were able to see all sorts of cool information that we shouldn't have been able to see. And that ranged from things like navigational charts, telling oil tankers where it was safe to go, to emails from billionaires' yachts, to text messages destined towards passengers on long haul transatlantic flights. And um, so we're really interested in kind of looking at the scenarios where an attacker might tamper with this information or use something they learned from it to cause harm to information systems to kind of motivate a case for thinking about how we can protect this traffic going forward. I see. And now let's back up just a little bit, because one of the things that was interesting that you mentioned is the equipment that you all used to do this wasn't that, you know, sophisticated or expensive. What, what type of equipment enabled you to, to do this? Yeah, so there are essentially two components to pulling off the attack. One is a satellite dish, um, which could literally be anything you see like rusting on a roof in your neighborhood. Um, and then the second component is something to be able to interpret the signals coming off of that in your computer. Um, they're called DVBS, Digital Video Broadcasting for Satellite Tuner Cards. And they're designed to let people do things like stream satellite television on their computer or like record satellite broadcasts using their PC. Um, the satellite dish itself that we use costs around $100, although honestly, you can get those for free off of Craigslist um, if you're resourceful. 
And then the tuner cards themselves, we used a high-end tuner card, which cost around $200, uh, but you can use much cheaper cards uh, that cost around $50. The downside of that is that you'll be able to get kind of lower quality uh, signal recordings than if you spend a little bit extra money on a high-end card. And another interesting thing that you mentioned, especially during your, your Black Hat presentation, was that these aren't necessarily, you know, brand new uh, methods. They were actually kind of updated methods that were already presented at a past Black Hat. Can you talk about that a little bit? And what was the main difference between how your team approached this versus uh, that research that was presented in the past? Yeah, so the research that really kind of inspired these experiments uh, was some research that looked at home internet services in the early 2000s. There were a couple of Black Hat talks and some academic papers that uh, looked at kind of home satellite internet service and found that they were leaking sensitive information. But most of these were kind of published before the internet worked the way it does today. So like since then, we've gotten, you know, smartphones in everyone's pocket. We have IoT systems that are running critical infrastructure in remote regions. We have aircraft and vessels that are relying on internet traffic to do all kinds of things, whether that's for operational purposes or just to keep customers entertained. And so we wanted to kind of see how these newer services were interfacing with the security properties of systems that used to be very insecure. Another big difference today is that we our research looked at um, these more expensive VSAT terminals. Uh, VSAT is an acronym for Very Small Aperture Terminal, um, which can get quite expensive. When you talk about like a VSAT installation that would be on a cruise ship or an airplane, it, they can easily cost six figures or more. And so the assumption in the industry has often been that for an attacker to get access to those signals, they would have to buy one of these satellite terminals. And that's, you know, nation state resources. And so it's not really a threat that people were concerned about. And we found that this was only halfway true. Um, so while it was still easy to listen to those old signals, our cheap equipment had trouble keeping up with the newer VSAT services. And we ended up writing a tool which tried to take some shortcuts to find only the easiest packets to track in these corrupted signals and piece that together. And that was kind of based off of the intuition that a satellite hacker doesn't actually need a perfect modem or 100% reception. Um, they just need to be good enough to get interesting data and sensitive data. And we found that it was actually quite easy to meet that bar of good enough to recover like 50 to 70% of the packets that were hitting our dish, even if the stream itself was pretty corrupted. Interesting. I see. And I want to actually kind of follow up question on something that you mentioned is that, you know, focusing specifically on the in-flight um, internet and sort of the way that we use the internet on the aircraft today. And if you think about a passenger sort of sitting in a cabin, connecting to the internet, doing something on their phone, emailing or browsing the web, um, what you know, out of that traffic, were you able to see, you know, based on passenger internet data and what, you know, within that sort of way we use the internet on the aircraft, what about that was exposed and sort of allowed you to, to see that data? Yeah, so the sort of data that we were able to see is sort of the data that you would expect to see if you were like controlling the wireless modem on the airplane. Um, so, if a passenger was using a VPN on their phone, for example, the traffic would be encrypted when it was going over the satellite link. But if they weren't, we were often able to see the actual contents of their browsing traffic. So that would be things like we saw, for example, an accountant um, on a European flight who was um, 
emailing the um, company's financial report for that year to one of her parent companies. And so some pretty sensitive information is getting kind of just broadcast over an entire continent. And it's uh, potentially not the accountant's responsibility to be sure that their traffic is encrypted, but maybe the responsibility of like the internet service provider. Another good example that I think kind of takes us from a different angle is that there's been a kind of trend towards putting these little femtocells, which are basically miniature cell towers on airplanes that let people use their phones, um, their smartphones like they were on the ground, so to send and receive text messages. And the front end of that is the same as you would expect from any cell, cell tower. So there's like encryption on the plane in terms of the radio signals you're sending. But over the satellite link, that encryption goes away and the traffic is in clear text. So we were able to do things like read text messages that people were sending to their loved ones on flights. We saw one guy receive his negative coronavirus test result in the middle of a flight. So very sensitive personal traffic that could potentially be leaked by someone who just forgot to put their smartphone into airplane mode before they got onto the plane. Right, right. Yeah, that is very interesting to learn about how you were able to access that. And now I want to ask you about one of my favorite parts of your research that you presented. And this is especially because this type of technology is growing and has really grown and expanded in use over the last 10 years in aviation. And that's electronic flight bags uh, and the you know sort of applications you can use as a pilot in a cockpit. Uh, and now you, this part, you, there's a part of your presentation called the loneliest EFB. Uh, this was particularly interesting because our audience includes a lot of avionics and aerospace OEMs and suppliers that really talk about how this, you know, domain of, of the industry is advancing. Um, and I want to learn now how, you know, you all were able to see an electronic flight bag tablet that was connected to an aircraft network. Do I have that right? Yes. Yeah. So um, that's exactly right. The um, loneliest EFB case was actually this weird side effect of coronavirus because um, we saw very little passenger data once the travel restrictions came into place back in April. And so as a result, most of the traffic that we were seeing in the networks was coming from airplane operations themselves. And it allowed us to kind of filter out a lot of the noise. And there just happened to be a Chinese airline um, that had made a typo in setting up their EFB. Um, probably they like messed up the password or something. And so the EFB kept getting bounced off of this redirect page and leaking information regarding the structure of its API and the servers it was trying to talk to. And we're able to use that information to identify this product across other aircraft in that carrier's fleet and kind of identify where these EFB communications were coming from. And it turns out that the specific EFB here that was being used was compressing traffic uh, for bandwidth purposes, but it wasn't encrypting it. Um, so even when the login was correct, we were able to see information that that EFB was sending about the status of the flight or downloading specifically about like a lot of maintenance things and so forth. From a safety perspective, I don't think there was anything we saw that could obviously crash an aircraft in that communications. Um, but there were all kinds of things that might have kind of side effects on safety. For example, maintenance checklists were being updated over this EFB. And based off of our other attack scenarios that we kind of talk about in the presentation, there would be mechanisms that an attacker could use to trivially either block this maintenance information or manipulate it or change like weather information that was being displayed. Um, and so I think in like a broader sense, when we think about the separation between kind of the information side of aircraft and 
the more um, like passenger entertainment side of aircraft, most of the traffic we saw was like consumer related or not related to flying the airplane. But as aircraft become increasingly connected devices and leverage these internet links more deeply, there's always the risk that it becomes tempting because of efficiency gains or other benefits to kind of bridge the gap between these domains more aggressively. And without considering the security implications, that can be really bad. Also, um, as aircraft are getting more connected even now, it's important to recognize that even though the EFB might not be plugged into an avionic system in a way that it can like steer a plane, there is a functional cable connecting that EFB to the aircraft domain, which is the pilot. And so attacks which can deceive a pilot into doing something that would be damaging to the plane's safety or the efficiency of its operation could still be a serious threat model, even if the data doesn't have a direct route. Uh, from one device to another and that was actually my exact next question was that you were able to to identify the you know what the the tablet kind of the disconnected or or you know not necessarily the the sort of hardwired safety critical avionic systems but actually the the tablet and the network traffic that was on the tablet yeah so i'd say 95 percent of the network we intercepted was customer related or kind of network traffic. There are some proprietary protocols that we we saw in our traffic captures that we're still trying to figure out what they do. They would like reference some like airport logistics and operations stuff, but there was nothing that was like obviously related to actual avionics systems um, in a way that we thought it was anything other than like reports of telemetry data, something that you couldn't change actively with these systems. And you mentioned the coronavirus a few times, and I wanted to point that out to the audience because that is, is pretty timely. I mean, this wasn't that long ago that you, you know, performed this project. How, how long did this research take, and you know, when, when did you all sort of finish it? Yeah, so the measurement campaigns started in 2018, and we started first with home satellite internet, and then we kind of looked at maritime systems. And we came around to aviation in February of this year, so 2020. Um, to look uh, specifically at the aviation use case. And uh, coronavirus came up a couple of months after we started getting our traffic and really changed the nature of that traffic. But this is all incredibly recent stuff. This is, I think, relevant to systems as of August of this year. And probably if I booted up my installation now, it's still relevant. Right, right. And now, you know, I want to know more kind of, like you said, the kind of broader impact of your research, because we do have a lot of commercial airlines and, and you know, air, aircraft manufacturers, satellite service providers who listen to the podcast. So I want to maybe say, what are some of the biggest takeaways for them from your research that you'd like to maybe get out there? You know, what, are you talking to some people in the industry or maybe even regulators about the flaws that you were able to expose within in-flight uh, internet systems? Yeah, so uh, we definitely are working with folks in industry. Um, through responsible disclosure, we've spoken with like a lot of the satellite operators as well as some specific aviation internet service providers um, about the vulnerabilities that we found and kind of let them know what was going on. And then more broadly, I'm part of a research group at Oxford that does a lot of aviation research. Some of this is in partnership with um, Armasuisse, which is an agency within the Swiss government. Um, and they've done all kinds of other aviation related research on like collision avoidance systems and so forth. So we have pretty good links within the aviation industry, particularly for communicating this. In terms of the um, 
lessons that I think would be a big takeaway for the industry. Um, I think the the most fundamental one is that when you transmit something over the internet, um, you don't really know where it's going to go along its path from the origination point to its destination. And when you send it, for example, over a satellite hop, it can easily reach someone who's thousands of miles away and regulated by different laws and not supposed to be listening to your traffic. And so encrypting traffic is almost always worth the overhead costs and the added complexity in the sense that it just dramatically reduces the risk of someone being able to intercept it on one of those weird hops that your traffic takes. And so when designing avionic systems that rely on satellite services or even other wireless services, understanding exactly what happens if someone can see those radio bytes um, and what that might mean for your threats is important. The other big lesson, um, when we disclose this to one avionics, or sorry, aviation like internet service provider, um, they said that they had like, when they built their systems, they assumed that this would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to execute the attack. And what our research showed is that these threat models change. And I think that's something to keep in mind is that when you decide to accept a risk on the assumption that an attacker doesn't have the capability or doesn't have the budget or the hardware, the willpower to execute that, it's important to constantly double check those assumptions because attacker capabilities and resources change very quickly in cyberspace. And so something that would have been impossible to do 10 or 15 years ago can be trivial to do today. Interesting. And so, James, I think our audience definitely learned a lot. I'm sure a lot of people took notes during this entire conversation because you shared a lot there. Uh, so what, you know, for the remainder of the year, maybe in, in, in upcoming into 2021, are there any other exciting maybe research projects or, or just general, uh, you know, topics within cybersecurity that you're focusing on right now? Yeah. So I'm doing my best to, to keep finding things to do with satellites. We have a a paper under peer review right now. I don't know when it'll get published, um, but that looks at specifically how we can detect people who are lying about like where satellites are and where they're going, which is a really interesting thing that has some crossover with kind of uh, threat models in aviation that look at like targeting um, planes reporting their locations. And if we move that up to space and space debris, that's something I've really been exploring lately. And then on the satellite internet side of things, we're working uh, a lot right now on an open source project um, that you can find on GitHub, and it's designed to um, encrypt this traffic uh, in a way that makes it um, pretty easy for like an individual person who has a laptop computer or a cell phone to keep their traffic secret. And it's definitely not a commercial product and probably won't ever be, but it's um, an environment that I think is really good for people who are interested in researching this to kind of be able to play around with these systems and see how you can apply encryption and what that means uh, for the systems in terms of performance. Okay, some very exciting research there. Well, uh, he is a Rhodes Scholar and PhD student at Oxford University. James, thanks for coming on the podcast today. No problem. It was great to be on. So that brings us to the end of this episode. As always, please subscribe to us on Apple's podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. <laughs>